Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. Visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for Mentors at Your Benchside in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists. Thank you for downloading the webinars podcast from Bitesize Bio, the missing manual for bioscientists. The full version of this webinar can be viewed by navigating to bitesizebio.com slash webinars and clicking on the name of the sponsor, which can be found in the list on the right-hand side of the page. Hello, this is Amanda Welch welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio web seminar, which today is sponsored by Scientific Volume Imaging. Their mission is to provide reliable, high-quality, easy-to-use image processing tools for scientists working in light microscopy. Together with a dedicated team in close contact with the international scientific microscopic community, they continuously improve their software, keeping it at the forefront of technology. Today's presentation is titled, Reliable Quantification of Fluorescence Images from Raw Data to Reproducible Results, and is being presented by Dr. Vincent Kontrawart from Scientific Volume Imaging. Vincent is a Senior Imaging Specialist at Scientific Volume Imaging, which is the company that develops the Hygen software. He received his PhD in Cell Biology at the University of Nijmegen, the Netherlands, and was a postdoc at Yale University and UMC Utrecht. From his master's onward, his research involved the use of microscopes and imaging software. His current work focuses on supporting the use of hyogens and providing courses in how to improve, deconvolve, restore, and analyze fluorescent microscopy images. Now, as always, we will have a question and answer session after the presentation. So please type any questions that you have into the questions box, which appears on the right-hand side of your screen, and I'll put them to Vincent at the end. The recording of the webinar will be available at bit.ly slash reproducible images. That's bit.ly slash reproducible images, all one word, lowercase. So now over to you, Vincent, for the presentation. Thank you for uh, this opportunity to present uh, our software via this uh, forum, Bytesize Bio. So my name is Vincent Schoonderwood, as Manda said, and I'm one of the imaging specialists at SVI. We develop, sell, and support the Huygens software. So Huygens is well known for its deconvolution. In this webinar, we focus on obtaining reliable information from the microscope and using our software properly. Obviously, all the images and the processing in this presentation is done with our Huygens software. So I'd like to start this webinar by presenting to you three imaging case studies. The first is the study concerning the kinetical complex in a human osteosarcoma cultured cell line that has been stained for DNA and different kinetical markers. The research question is whether there are any differences in the number of objects, their location, and the co-localization of uh, different markers. We compare these results with that of a cell that should have a different phenotype due to mutation or drug. The image of this project uh, were kindly provided by Martin 
Fromans and by Livio Clay from the University of Utrecht. The second study involves a motility assay of the small roundworm C. elegans. Such motility assays are designed to study the relationship between genes, aging and behavior. The motility analysis may include a classification of the nematode, trajectory, speed and distance. We'd like to thank Dr. Katika Jan Navalpur Anamalia from the University of Constance for this dataset. The last third case concerns yeast Golgi transport. Data for this study was kindly provided by Casey Day, Natalie Johnson, and Ben Glick. I think all scientists realize the importance of questioning the reliability of an experimental data set. Are my results real and reproducible? And if so, will I be able to publish this in high-ranking journals and maybe even reach the cover like these Huygens customers? There are many uncertainties and parameters to take into account when performing an experiment. For example, are all my epitopes available for my fluorescent probe? Is my fluorescent probe not interfering with cellular functions? Is my fixation preserving my structure properly? And how is my sample behaving during imaging? And you can have bleaching for the toxicity, movement of the object. Is my microscope properly aligned and correctly set for proper acquisition? Is my image presenting enough detail of my object? And is image processing, restoration, not affecting my real data? Those are all very valid questions. And if we focus on the imaging part of the experiments, these uncertainties merge into a very basic question. Is my microscopy image showing my real object? Well, this is not the case. The microscope image provides only indirect evidence about the object that we are studying. So what about the images for the three case studies? So case one, the knitocore complex, we see that uh, we can um, acquire a 3D data set, um, we, we acquire a data set with a wide field epifluorescence microscope. So at the top, you see a maximum intensity projection of all Z slices, and below that, only the middle slice is shown. Although this is a perfectly acquired 3D data set, it suffers like all epifluorescent images from out-of-focus light or blur. Case two shows a 2D time series recording using also a wide field microscope, but then with a low NA and a low magnification objective. Also here, the image suffers from out-of-focus light. Furthermore, you can see clearly that the microscope stage needed to be moved during the recording of this uh, sample so that the complete object would be kept within the field of view. The image for case number three was collected with a single point scanning convocal. This time series has extremely low signal. Highest intensity values are less than 20 counts. And from these images, it is very difficult, if not almost impossible, to, to discern clear organelle structures in these yeast cells and to follow them in time. 
So like these images, all microscopy images are degraded. An image of an object is degraded by background, by the natural diffraction of light, and by noise. There is no possibility to prevent this. To actually visualize these issues yourself, you can image a known object, like for example fluorescent beads. For epifluorescence microscopy, you typically take 170 nanometer beads. This mid projection of a perfectly acquired 3D dataset was acquired by Saitar Go from Caltech. It shows what a microscope does with such bead objects. You clearly see the problem here, problems here that are listed on the left side. So these beads should in fact be nice, perfect round objects, but they are not. So we can also use this image to extract the diffraction pattern, also known as the point spread function, so that we know what the microscope is actually doing with our point object. This distortion is due to the microscopy imaging process and that we can describe as a mathematical process and that we can also call convolution. Interestingly, we can use this point spread function to reverse the convolution process of the microscope. And this process is called a deconvolution. So basically, we use the image and the point spread function to find the object. So do we always need to take an effort to measure the point spread function from beads? Well, the answer is no, because in most cases, we can read the parameters from the microscopy data. So upon opening an image in Huygens, all the relevant parameters of the acquired data set are extracted. These parameters can also be reviewed and edited. The point spread function can then be accurately calculated from the numerical aperture of the lens, the pixel size, the wavelengths of the fluorophore, and the microscope type that was used. It's probably needless to say that every microscope type has its own point spread function. They're shown here in false colors to indicate high and low intensity. The point spread function of an epifluorescent microscope, for example, shows diffraction into infinite space. In case of confocal, this blur is clipped by the pinhole, allowing optical sectioning, but at the cost of lower signal. Several deconvolution algorithms exist with the intent to improve the image quality, yet most of them cannot control for noise in a proper manner or are prone to clipping artifacts. Currently, the maximum likelihood algorithm is the most advanced algorithm available and Huygens makes use of maximum likelihood algorithms. So can we somehow check for the validity of the deconvolution process eh, when we use the point spread function and these advanced algorithms? Yes, of course we can do that. As you've seen before, we can restore an object that we know. So this brings us back to the raw epifluorescence image of the 170 nanometer beads shown here in 3D as a maximum intensity projection. The convolution of this image with the calculated PSF in Huygens gives a significant improvement. After deconvolution, you see an additional problem here, which is the clear misalignment of the channels. 
please recall that these are multi-channel beats, so the channels should in fact co-localize at this resolution. With the Huygens Chromatic Aberration Corrector, we can automatically detect and correct this imaging artifact. So at the end, we uh, end up with a MIP projection of nice, more spherical structures, uh, spherical looking like structures. So if it comes to reliable data, you see what the information is about in the raw data versus the restore data. So what is more reliable? That is the question that we can propose. So in summary, Huygens deconvolution, we see that it can improve the resolution two to four times in X, Y, and Z. We can increase contrast two to more than 10 times. That really depends on the type of data. It removes the noise, it removes the aspect, but improves the aspect ratio in X, Y, and Z. So normally uh, objects are uh, tempted to e elongate it in Z, and you can more or less improve that with deconvolution. And additionally to these improvements, the uh, restoration uh, with other tools may be necessary, like chromatic aberration correction or crosstalk. So back to the three uh, to the three different experiments. Let's first focus on the cell division example, the kinetochore complex case. The surface render here can create isosurfaces by connecting pixels of identical intensity. We can apply an Otsu algorithm to automatically segment four objects. You see already here that the blur of this raw data set hampers the segmentation and identification of objects. The analysis of the objects in the, uh, from the different channels gives us like 13 objects for the GFP channel, the green channel, one object, one big object in the red channel, the co-localization uh, in terms of voxels that are overlapping between the two channels is one million, which are all the red voxels in fact. So it's just one big object that co-localizes with green. And the average distance of objects in the green channel that are close to the red channel are 10 microns, which is, yeah, not a very um, normal value in a cell. So we can improve this with deconvolution, as you may expect. The Huygens MIP renderer at the top shows you a much more improved data set. And at the bottom, we also see that the segmentation with Otsu does a much better job. You can clearly distinguish the objects. And if we run this in the object analyzer, we get a co completely different picture. You see green objects, 289. In the red channel, there are 120 objects. Co-localization is much different, much lower, and the average overlap between uh, the green object with the red object is about 60%. The average distance is less than one micron between the objects. So this hints to, and you see that also in the picture, that a lot of objects from the green are overlapping with the red objects. So interestingly, with this approach, we can also look at cells that have been treated in a certain way with, for example, drugs or a mutated protein. And if we then look at a cell that has a completely different phenotype, you see that the distribution of the objects is also completely different. Less objects are identified, co-localization is lower, 
and the average distance has also changed with respect to channel one to two. So in this way, you can reliably compare uh, different experiments with one another. So let's now focus on the second case, the C elegance. Shown uh, is one time frame of the time series. And as you can see, after deconvolution, you get a much crisper, uh, detailed data set. The brightness setting of this image has set somehow because of the increase in dynamic range that some objects may look a bit dimmer, but they are present. So now we make a mid projection of all the time frames. So we project all the time frames on top of one another and the purple color that shows the last time frame, the object in the last time frame. And you see from this projection that it's difficult to calculate any distance or uh, speed measurements. And so how fast has this worm been moving? And what is also, for example, the amplitude of the trajectory curve? So then Aura Huygens stabilizer steps in. With the stabilizer, we can focus on a landmark in the image that is static and we can stabilize the complete image data set. So remember that this uh, data set was acquired by moving the stage to follow the object. And that is now something that we want to correct. At the bottom screenshot, you see clearly the alignment of the different time frames and the movement, uh, the displacement in X. The same holds true approximately for the Y axis. So we can realign these uh, images and we get the following result that is shown on the right. So on the right, we see the deconvolved and stabilized result. And on the left, we see the original image, no stabilization. And let's just now mark with a yellow dot the starting position of these worms. Now we run the original image. So this is again the projection of the time series. And on the right, we do the same, but then after stabilization, and you nicely see the trajectory that this worm follows. Moreover, we can now mark the, the end position with these red dots, and we can calculate what the distance is that this animal organism has moved. And that's better, it's more trustworthy in the deconvolved and stabilized result. Furthermore, we can calculate from here the amplitude of the, um, of the trajectory that this organism follows. <clears throat> so the third case, yeast organelle transport. Here, two probes were used for Golgi transport. There's a time series at the top and uh, um, a three-channel image with the yeast uh, projected on top of this noisy data set. If we deconvolve this data set, we get much better results. So we can clearly identify the objects uh, labeled uh, with green in the early uh, Golgi and with red in the late Golgi. And we can even do some tracking analysis with the service renderer and look for uh, tracks of the objects or look at conversions from one color to the other if objects are merging or um, 
yeah, maturing. So this is just uh, a movie of the movement of these objects in these yeast cells. So how reliable is all this data? I showed you that the image is not the real object. You need to do some processing on it, like deconvolution and maybe also any additional restoration. So deconvolution and restoration gives us a much improved estimation of what the object actually looks like that is under your microscope. So how to get this reliable and quantifiable data? It starts at the level of the microscope. So we've Although we assume that the experimental and imaging settings are kept similarly, if you compare image data, uh, um, you can still ask what are the acquisition settings that I should use. Well, the first priority is sampling according to Nyquist. We have a Nyquist calculator on our website and you can also download a Nyquist app from the Google App Store. Second priority is no clipping or saturation of signal. This is signal loss and you will not be able to retrieve that. So don't do that. You want to minimize the bleaching of the sample and of course also phototoxicity. And preferably it would be good to match the lens and the sample medium to minimize any spherical aberration. And last, be cautious with using averaging during imaging if you have low signal, because the rounding may lead to a loss of signal. So once we've acquired this data, according to these priorities, how should we treat it in Huygens? First of all, open the image and verify the microscopy image parameters that are read from the metadata, just as a double check. Also, the microscope often cannot sense what wavelengths you've used, so you can edit these. Then inspect the image with the twin slicer. Look for additional imaging issues like chromatic aberration, crosstalk, and use the proper Huygens corrector tool for that. And we have several of them. You can control for hot and cold pixels. You can do a bleaching correction, crosstalk correction. There is a chromatic aberration corrector. And as I mentioned, the object stabilizer that can account for drift and stabilization issues. The next step is the deconvolution. And you can uh, do that within the Huygens wizard. This wizard will help you. It will guide you through the process of deconvolution. You can also let Huygens do it fully automatically. So that can be done in the deconvolution and batch express option. And if you're really into comparing data, then we advise you to use the batch processor. You can there use templates for the microscopy parameters and also for the deconvolution settings that you're sure that every image is treated similarly. So now we've done the deconvolution and the restoration. What about can we trust this outcome? Uh, is Huygens deconvolution preserving the linearity of signal? So we did tests. Um, for example, uh, this Argo light pattern, which is a four by four intensity pattern. 
We've obtained that uh, kindly from the Argolite company, and we imaged that with a confocal uh, microscope. And we did that in collaboration with Jeroen Kohle and René Musters from the Free University Medical Center in Amsterdam. What you nicely see here is that if we uh, take the ratio of the raw image intensity versus the deconvolved image intensity, the slope is one. So there is no uh, gain or loss of signal after deconvolution. And we've done that for different laser power settings. A couple of years back, Erika Wee and Claire Brown from McGill University published a paper in Journal of Biomolecular Techniques. And they measured beads of different intensities with a wide field microscope. So the previous example was confocal. This is wide field. So these beads, which are called InSpec green beads, they're from Life Technologies, which I think it's currently a Thermo Fisher. And if we image these beads, deconvolve them with Huygens and expose them to our object analyzer using automatic segmentation, we get again a linear response. So the intensity of the green beads go up with the number of photons that we uh, count from these images also after deconvolution. So more data on this. So this is done with Huygens. More data of this is uh, at that in that paper of Clebra. So how to verify if the image was correctly restored? Uh, you've seen that the signal uh, is kept linearly, but how to know if things have not been exchanged for something else? So two or more images of the same object should give you actually similar results. Second, Acquire an image of a known object like beads under the same conditions as your experiment and deconvolve this image. So this is what we've done in this presentation. Try different deconvolution parameters and use the automatic deconvolution within deconvolution express as a comparison. Compare the deconvolution and restoration result with the raw data set. You can visit our wiki with more information on image restoration and analysis uh, to get some more background and some more information on the precise settings. And at the end, you can always contact our imaging specialists at SVI and ask us. So the results from the three imaging cases, here is a summary. So we were able to uh, more trustworthy, get more reliable analysis out of these data sets than we would ever had if we would do it on the raw data. So Huygens is perfectly equipped to improve low and high signal data sets. It can address all kinds of acquisition problems. It can deal with many file formats. It supports various microscope types, also file formats, and you can visualize, analyze, and track your 3D, 5D data with Huygens. So at the end, uh, there is a possibility of, uh, to ask questions. So I will give uh, the uh, hand to um, Amanda. Uh, before, um, I want to say that you can test Huygens, go to our website, download the test version, and test and compare yourself. That is the best approach that we can uh, advise you. 
And I also want to thank here all the people that have contributed with their images to this webinar and uh, to the development of our software. So thank you very much for attending this webinar and I hope we meet again. Thanks, Vincent. That was an excellent presentation. We have a few questions from the audience. If anyone else has a question, please feel free to post it in the questions box that appears on the right of your screen. So our first question is um, about the software. So how does Hyogens compare to other deconvolution software? Uh, yes, so, I mean, that's, it's obvious that I cannot go into detail uh, on this. I cannot go into that. But what I can advise is that people uh, ask us for test licenses and that they compare with other softwares. And if you have any doubts about the outcome, uh, especially of our software, of course, uh, because we are experiencing that, we can help you with that. So it's best to compare yourself. That's the best advice that we can give you. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Um, and so the other, we have another question about um, co-localization coefficients. So can I also measure co-localization coefficients such as Pearson and Manders with hyogens? Uh, yes, so um, what I showed you in the webinar is uh, co-localization based on objects. So it, look, it shows you the overlap between objects in terms of voxels. What we also do in Huygens is co-localization based on the coefficients. So it's just Pearson, Manders, we have a whole range of them. Um, and this co-localization analyzer tool is a different tool than the object analysis that I've showed you before. So the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and so somebody has a question about the um, Nyquist calculators. They say that they cannot meet the sampling density that the SVI online um, Nyquist calculator presents. Yes. Okay, we understand that certain experimental conditions make that you cannot meet these sampling uh, values which is totally understandable. However, we like to challenge you and tell you that you need to accept noisy data sets and try to meet the Nyquist calculator uh, settings that are recommended. So try to keep that as a priority, the sampling. Leave your image with noise. I've also shown that in the webinar, there was an image with a lot of noise just 20 counts maximum, and we have had similar results of that same group uh, from ben, uh, Professor Ben Cleek from the University of Chicago, who had data sets of maximum of five counts, and still Huygens can do quite a good job if mm -hmm. you just sample properly. Okay, and then we have a question um, about the CMLE algorithm. So they said, could you please describe the CMLE algorithm and possible problems with it that can appear in the STED application? Yes, the CMLE algorithm, it's, it's just a regular maximum likelihood estimate algorithm. It's published, this algorithm, and it would be uh, way beyond the scope of this webinar to go into details on how that algorithm works. What is important, uh, because I think the question boils down to that, what is important is, what gives me a good result with deconvolution? Mm -hmm. That is the quality of the point spread function. The 
uh, algorithm, of course, but more people can use this algorithm. So that's not the big difference that it makes with Huygens. It's the quality of the point spread function, the handling of the background, uh, the flexibility of, uh, so not all softwares have the CMLE algorithm, the flexibility of this algorithm in terms of noise handling. There are many, many aspects that determine the quality of deconvolution. Okay. And then we have, okay, so this one's kind of a, um, I say, a bit more of a test case. So Prachi asks if you have, say you have two images, one with high signal to noise ratio and another that's perhaps treated with a drug that nearly eliminates the signal. If you want to deconvolve and quantify the differences in signal using the same signal to noise value ratio values for both images during deconvolution, Will this produce artifacts in the low signal image? And she follows it up with, how do you best maintain the relative signal after deconvolution in this case? Yes. So um, if you compare images with one another, then um, there are a few settings in Huygens that should be taken into account. And we have on our website more information on that. Uh, the concerned person can also uh, contact us directly with more details on that and also maybe send us the images then we can have a look. Um, so the background should be set similarly and also the signal to noise uh, setting should be kept similarly. So there's a signal to noise ratio um, setting in Huygens and that kind of determines the resolution uh, at the end that you can obtain. It can be tweaked, this parameter, to obtain the best result, but if you compare images with one another, it should be kept similarly. Okay. And then we have a question about the Nyquist app. So it was not available on the Google Play Store the last time they checked. Yes, it was kind of out of the air because we forgot to uh, uh, check a p uh, permission setting, oh, okay. which we did. So it's now online again. So <laughs> it's available again. Good. <laughs> and we improved it a bit. Okay. And we have a question. Oh, that's good. Even better then. Um, so we have a question from Anna. They're asking for, <clears throat> for quantification of fluorescence. So say, for example, diffuse signal of an abundant protein. How can you be sure that you're within the linear range? So quantification, can you repeat that for one second, Amanda? Quantification of signal? What, yeah, so quantification of fluorescence. Yeah. Um, and let's say that you've got a diffuse signal from an abundant protein. How can you be sure that you're within the linear range? Yeah, so the problems that we mostly see with abundant uh, signal is saturation of signal. So that should be completely avoided. If, if you have that, uh, so very often people acquire images by first focusing on a, a specific plane, then setting the offset and again in such a way that they don't get saturation. And then they, if they go through the 3D stack or through time, uh, it may be that objects get saturated. So that should be totally avoided. And then again, same as uh, in the previous question, one of the previous questions, the settings should be kept the same uh, if you want to compare uh, um, signal with one another. And Huygens should keep the linearity of the signal after deconvolution. Excellent. Okay, and then um, I guess kind of it sort of follows up on that. Um, how does deconvolution affect co-localization values? Yeah, that's a tricky question because um, two objects cannot be at the same position. 
Yeah, that's just a philosophical um, right. uh, approach <laughs> of looking at it. Yes. And that yeah. is true. And that is, is true. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> so co-localization, in fact, does not exist. So it more boils down to uh, how far are objects apart from one another. Well, if you have a low resolution um, or wide field or confocal image, uh, the resolution is still uh, not low enough to discern uh, individual um, molecules. Okay. Uh, so you have a resolution of like 200 nanometers. That means that the blur uh, of the object um, and uh, so the, the, the limitation of the resolution of the system that you have, it, that determines the, the co-localization value. That means that if you go to stat imaging or single molecule imaging, you slowly lose uh, your co-localization. It also means that if you do deconvolution on top of your uh, uh, image that you've obtained from a confocal or a wide field, you will change the co-localization value. The question though is, uh, do you get better results uh, before or after deconvolution? And I think I've shown you uh, in this presentation that uh, the objects are better defined and uh, artifacts in the image are removed, are uh, corrected for, and this gives you um, a better co-localization value. So you can imagine that co-localization uh, is affected by noise, yeah. by blur, and that is um, signal at the wrong position. So that is something that you do not want. So yes, the convolution <laughs> does affect co-localization values, but it improves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it affects it kind of for the better. Yeah. And then we have a question about, um, so does object traffic, sorry, does object trafficking benefit from deconvolution? Yeah, if you track objects, it may be that you do not need deconvolution because if you look at the center of mass of objects, you may be able to track these objects. However, if objects are close to one another, or if they are uh, um, running uh, over one another in a 3D data set, it may be better to deconvolve the images first to discern the objects better, to distinguish them better, to segment them better. And in that way, you can better track the objects. So it is advised, but in some cases, maybe not necessary. Okay. Well, that looks like that brings us to the end of the webinar. So thank you again, Vincent, for a very illuminating presentation and a great discussion. And thanks also to our sponsor, Scientific Volume Imaging. And finally, thanks to you, the audience, for taking the time to attend and to listen in. If you've enjoyed the webinar and would like to view a video recording of the session, please visit the webinars page on bitesizebio.com. It should be available within the next 24 hours. And there you can see the other webinars we have lined up for you on Bio. So until next time, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Scientific Volume Imaging and Bio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the webinar. To view the full video version of this and all of our other webinars, please visit bitesizebio.com slash webinars. Finding the right mentor can make all the difference in your research journey. But what if you don't have one? Look no further than Mentors at Your Benchside, the podcast that offers curated advice from experienced researchers on lab skills, techniques, and career progression. With short, easy-to-access episodes, you can get the help you need to succeed in the lab. 
visit bitesizebio.com forward slash podcasts or search for mentors at your bench site in your podcast app to subscribe and get help and advice from seasoned scientists. 